So if you want to open your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 again. The title of today's message is Liar, Liar. We're going to be studying the Ninth Commandment. There's a rabbi that moved into a small community to minister to a local Jewish population there. And in his congregation, he found out that he had a man that was known to be pretty confrontational and very difficult to deal with. And it didn't take long for him during his sermon times and his message times and his teaching times to offend this man. Well, this man got offended and he told every single person he came in contact with how bad this rabbi was and how he didn't know what he was talking about and how he got into people's business and all these other things. Not only did he tell everybody in the congregation, but he also complained about town to anyone who would listen. Like most small towns, all these different stories that he talked about started to become a, have a life of their own and morph into even accusations of impropriety that the man had never even accused him of. But you know how people are, they kind of just build on these different stories. And for years, this rabbi had to fight against these stories and these rumors that were out there, not only in other Jewish communities, but even among his local people and the faith communities that existed within um, his community. One day, the man that started the whole mess had a major tragedy happen in his life. And even though he had trashed this rabbi in the community, the rabbi still came and helped him through this very rough time. The man was stricken in his heart of how deeply he had hurt the rabbi on a personal level, as well as called into question his professional life. And the man asked the rabbi, after all this was done, for forgiveness and asked if there was any way that he could make amends. The rabbi told him, I want you to go home and I want you to find an old feather pillow that you may have laying around. And I want you to take it out into the field this morning or this evening when the winds are blowing and cut it open and shake out all the feathers. And when you're done with that, keep, please come back and see me. So the man thought, well, that's kind of a weird thing to ask. I mean, I, I thought maybe he'd have me, you know, come and scrub the church or shovel snow. You know, that he wants me to shake out an old pillow, but he, he was obedient. He, he went out and did exactly what he was asked. And feathers flew everywhere, covering a couple of acres of land with feathers as they got blown over the place by the wind. And the man went back to the rabbi and said, well, rabbi, I have done what you have asked. And the rabbi said, well, now... I want you to go down to the field and pick up every single one of those feathers, put them back into the pillow, and sew it back up so it can be used again. And the man said, but Rabbi, that would be impossible. Most of these feathers have flown away and could never be found. I, 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 there's no possible way I could do this. And the rabbi said, yes, my son, this is impossible. Those feathers are the words we speak. Once we release them into the wind, we never know where they are going to fly. We never know where they are going to end up. And we can never find them and put them back into our mouths ever again. This story introduces us to our message on the ninth commandment today. And it's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, which says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Let's pray. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just use this message to, tell, to show us the power of our words, Lord. To show us that they can be both a blessing 
and a curse, that they can both bring healing and bring hurt and disaster, especially when they are used in ways that are untrue. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just do this so that we may be a people that reflect your holiness and your character to this world. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now today we're going to study the ninth commandment and the reasons that God gave it to the Hebrews at Mount Sinai and what it means for us today. We're going to break this message down into a, true, a few parts. The first part of this message, I'm going to cover the theological side of giving false testimony. False testimony is just the biblical phrase for the word that we use, which is lying. And then follow it up with how lying damages us on a spiritual level, and then end it with lying about or end up with how lying damages other people. So I would encourage you, buckle in. This one might be a little rough. I almost grabbed the small pulpit again today and came down to preach down there because it was just as convicting to prepare this message as it will be for you to hear it. Now, a modern way of saying the ninth commandment is simply, do not lie. With any of the commandments, we can also speak the opposite to show that it is true. For example, if we say do not murder, that means we have to support life. That means we have to defend this particularly innocent life. If we say do not steal, we should protect and cherish other people's private property. If we, do not, if we say do not commit adultery, we should be completely honorable and godly in the way that we deal with members of the opposite sex. This one, the ninth commandment, is do not lie, which means always speak the truth. Always speak that which is true and holy and honorable before God. So why is this so important to us today? And why is it ultimately important to God? Well, the first reason is lying is the antithesis or the opposite of the nature of God. Deuteronomy 32.4 as well as dozens of others of scriptures describe God as a God of truth. But what is truth? Truth is a word that has undergone some serious damage in our world today, hasn't it? If you make a truth claim to someone on the street, they might reply to you, well, whose truth are we talking about here? Because we live in an age of relativism. We, deal, we live in an age of situational ethics. So truth is a very questionable word of, of what that means in our world today. Recently, I was talking to an atheist about the truthfulness of the Bible. And she said, well, that's your truth. You see, my truth about the Bible is that the Bible is just a collection of writings by primitive people who didn't understand natural occurrences. So they made up some sky god that for and formed a religion around him. She quoted to me Arthur C. Clarke, who is a science fiction writer who wrote the book that became a movie called 2001, A Space Odyssey. And, and Arthur C. Clarke wrote that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic or the supernatural. And she quoted that to me. She said that primitive man saw things they could not explain and therefore attributed it to magic or supernatural, um, supernatural occurrences. And that was her truth. Obviously, we as biblical Christians understand this a little differently, don't we? So let's define what truth is from the biblical and spiritual perspective. 
And my favorite definition, you've probably heard me say this many times, comes from the Truth Project, which defines truth like this. That truth is reality as seen through the eyes of God. You can't get much more true than that, can you? Truth is reality as seen through the eyes of God. And think about that for a moment. Our society and culture wants us to believe that there's more than one truth. But logically, that's impossible for there to be more than one truth. You can't have something that is cold and something that is hot also. It's logically, they logically can't coexist in, in one thing. Anything other than the truth is a lie. And since God is the only one in existence that knows and sees everything that is, that was, and that ever shall be, he's the only one who can tell us what truth is with any degree of certainty. How many people here know, have learned something in their life that they found out later was false? If you're in the medical field, this is constantly happening. They're constantly telling you that what you learned years ago is actually killing people. Now you have to do it this way. They're constantly changing what we know to be true. But God is truth. Amen. There is no lie found within them. So we've established that since truth only comes from God, we can now explore why lying is so bad. And why is lying bad? Because lying is the exact opposite of who God is. In fact, it says that Satan is a father of all lies. And when he is lying, he is speaking his native language. Now, Satan isn't God number two. He's not, he's, he's not this opposite God from the one true God. He's a created being who rebelled against God and became e evil and personified and evil incarnate. And if, in fact, the reason that you and I are sitting in church today is because of a lie that Satan told our ancestors. And let me clarify that a little bit by explaining the reason that these commandments were given. These commandments were given to a people who understood a particular story that happened in their past. The theolo uh, theologians and sociologists today, they call that a meta-narrative. Meta-narratives help, help us understand why a people think, believe, and behave in the way that they do. For example, your and mine's meta-narrative, being Americans, is that our ancestors came to this country to escape persecution or to find a better life than the country that they emigrated from. As Americans, we are by nature rebels. We don't like authority being over the top of us. We're rugged individualists for the most part. And we're very self-centered in the way that we view our world because most of us believe that America is exceptional among the uh, world's nations and we are the envy of every other culture on the planet. That is the American meta-narrative, that, that the way that we see the world. And at the time that the commandments were given, there were eight major events that defined the way the Hebrews saw the, their world. And it, it influenced their way of thinking. The first one was the flood. The second one was the fall. The third, excuse me, the first one was the flood. Second one was the fall. The third one was Noah and the flood. Then in the lives of the patriarchs, they understood the lives of Abraham, in particular, Jacob then Joseph, then Egyptian slavery, and then the Exodus. This was their meta-narrative and the way that they viewed their world. 
And these commandments were given within these meta narratives to such a way to completely and more completely show them the character and nature of God, as well as to contrast humanity's complete and utter moral downfall before this holy and perfect God. And it begins with that first event, that creation and fall of man, with Eve and then Adam believing the big four lies about God. And that lie began with a question, did God really say? And Satan did that to start casting the shadow of doubt over Adam and Eve's mind before Eve even got a chance to process it and process a reply. And Eve said to the serpent, she said, well, we may eat of any fruit of all the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And look at the big four lies that Satan gave and how subtly they were given. Lie number one, God is not loving. God planted that seed of doubt. He wanted Eve to believe that God was withholding goodness from her. And therefore, God was not good. The doubt made, that was cast made her view God as cruel, made her view God as harsh or unloving. The second guy is that, or second lie is that God was not truthful. By casting doubt on his truthfulness, Satan wanted Eve to believe that God had lied to her. His question mark at the end of what God says implied that God's word could not be trusted. And that lie continues today, doesn't it? Let me be very clear. Any person, be it teacher, professor, political pundit or pastor who causes skepticism about the authority, accuracy, authenticity, or infallibility of God's word is doing the work of Satan. Satan's effort to destroy God's truthfulness in the minds of people introduced to us these modern philosophies, which really aren't modern, they're just regurgitated philosophies of relativism, rationalism, pragmatism, postmodernism, all these isms that lead people away from God, and they're all based on lies. Lie number three, that God is not righteous. With his you shall surely die response, oh, you shall not surely die, sorry, honey. Satan wanted Eve to believe that God would really not hold Eve's sin against her. Some people today think that God is too good to punish sin. The truth is, he is too good not to punish sin. He is holy and righteous, and all sin has eternal consequences. One way or another, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately as I get older, one way or another, every action follows you into eternity. Every single one of our actions. It either affects our destination in deciding between heaven and hell, or it affects the reward that we will carry with us and be given for all eternity. Line number four, God is not gracious. Satan's temptation was for Eve to believe God's plans for her were not good and she should look out just for herself. He tells Eve, if God is not gracious, then you need to become your own God and take care of yourself and, you know, just have it your way. That was what he was implying through his answers there. And how much damage has been done in our world because of these lies? 
With Adam and Eve, the damage was immediate upon acting on these lies. Humanity losing the very Holy Spirit of God existing on them and in them. They suffered in life and then risked eternal hell if they didn't repent. And most importantly, these lies caused Jesus to have to go to the cross and pay the penalty to humanity for humanity for believing the lies of Satan. That's our meditative, our meta-narrative about how evil lying is. So let's bring it home to us personally today. Lying begins a progression in our spirit that it destroys Imago Dei, destroys the image of God within us. And let me show you that this morning. In my studying for this message, I found a great resource in Christianity today that describes the descent and damage caused by living a life filled with lies. Within this progression of lying, you start with number one, you lie. And that single lie becomes a match that can start a bonfire unless it's put out immediately. Unless we confess the truth about our lie, we're probably on our way to number two, which is that you self protect. And that means you lied about having lied in the first place. If you lie about one thing, it is likely you'll have to lie about another or tell more lies to support the original lie. Professor Brzezinski, an expert on ethics and professor at the University of Texas, puts it this way. He said, lies are weaklings. They need bodyguards. Lies give life to more lies to support that original lie. Number three, you develop the habit of lying. And a liar at this level might, just out of habit, lie about something trivial for no particular benefit, just because it's becoming their language and becoming instilled within them. And that's when you get to number four, you self-deceive, is that you now believe the lies that you're telling other people. You lie so effectively that you even begin to lie to yourself and believe those lies. And that's when you become self-deceptive. Have you ever seen a news story about how a person who callously lied about a situation and proclaims their own innocence about it then gets caught? And you see that look upon their face and they look confused like, well, no, no, it is that way. They've, they've, they've sold themselves on their own lie. And take note, just because we're self-deceived, it does not mean that we're innocent. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from the need to repent. On the cross, Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus' prayer suggests that sins committed unknowingly are still sins in need of repentance and forgiveness. Lying is sinful even if we do it subconsciously. I'm spending some time on this point because it's important to recognize this fact that self-deception is self-imposed. It's a self-imposed illness. To be deceived by someone else or shielded from the full truth is not the same as self-deception. Self-deception is a vice. It is a sin. It is something that develops within us. You remember Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate is a, a great example of this. When Pontius Pilate was face to face with Jesus, he cynically asked him, what is truth? Pilate self-deceived himself by telling himself that truth isn't really even accessible. 
And therefore he was not bound to recognize truth, even though it was standing right in front of him. Pilate had a motive for not wanting to know the truth, and Pilate wasn't uh, willing to be seen, see the light of the truth because of his own cowardness. Pilate's very question pitted against the truth of his own horrible character in contrast to the innocence of Jesus. And that's where it gets dangerous for us. This progression of, lie, of developing this life of lying within us, it develops a callous around actual truth and a callous around our hearts where we cease to be convicted of lying. Because at level four, a person enters into denial. He stops looking at our internal God-given moral compass and therefore ceases to be, feel guilty anymore. Number five is you rationalize. Not, now you not only believe that the lies are not lies, but you justify the lies as a positive good. Now lying is not part of a normal life. You believe it is actually a virtue in your life. These are the, this is the kind of thinking that contributes to scandals like Enron, WorldCom, or the, the subprime mortgage uh, fiasco that happened in 2007. This is the kind of thing that helps, that helps people stuff voting boxes with false ballots or registering dead people to vote because they think that this is actually a virtue, that their lies are actually doing good. Level five lies happen on a personal realm too. An adulteress would say, you don't understand. My husband and I have never had a real marriage. We've had 30 years of cohabitation. Yeah, we raised our kids, but it's nothing like what I have with my new lover because that's love. It's not adultery, it's love. It's a lie you choose to ease your own conscience, but it is still a lie. Number six, you even develop your technique even further. And the main technique in this is to compartmentalize. You start isolating statements, ignoring what is said in other contents. Many of us have let, met level six liars in the upper echelons of a bureaucracy or politics. And a level six liar might smoothly move from one constituent to another, saying these things, swearing in each instance he or she is telling the truth. I remember a few presidential elections ago, I was watching the news one evening, one of the national newses, and a candidate was seen giving a pro-life speech in the, no, in the South and a pro-choice uh, speech in the North during the same news broadcast. And when one of the, when the um, journalists had brought his campaign manager on and said, wait a second, your candidate's saying this thing over here and that thing over there, the campaign manager shrugged and said, eh, it's just politics. Uh. No, that's lying. And it gives us a window into the spirit of that candidate. The last level that we find is that you see it as our duty to lie. For example, you see this in a very dysfunctional family, abusive relationships, where grown siblings might kowtow to a parent to keep their dark family secrets hidden. It's also how cults form. It's a reason child abuse stays hidden and how people will literally get away with murder. And the main point of these 
of these categories I gave you is that lying is the devil's language. If you are a born-again child of the king, you're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. I would ask you to let the life of Jesus change your heart and mind so that we reflect his life and his character in every part of our existence, especially in the words that we speak. Finally, this morning, I want to look at the last part of this commandment, which says, against your neighbor. Some lies simply exist to promote and protect oneself. The second part of lying is that God's speaking about in this commandment are lies that are told deliberately to destroy other people. And we call this gossip. Proverbs 18.8 says that the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. There's something that happens within us when we gossip that is just so antithetical to the Spirit of God that it damages us internally when we think that we are damaging somebody else. Gossip is like making a poison for somebody else and then we go and drink it. There's a word in popular culture for gossip. It's called schadenfreude. It's a big German word that means to take pleasure or satisfaction in the misfortune of another. And that's really what gossip is. Taking pleasure at somebody else's failure, their tragedy, or their mistake. And I'm touching on one of the sins of any small town, any workplace, or any organization. We all know who the gossips are in our lives. And it's not just the women. So men, you can quit elbowing. The, if you have some, a woman next to you, you can quit elbowing her. Because I've been enough, around enough men drinking. I've been around enough locker rooms. I've been around enough workplaces or professional settings where men are sharing salacious details about somebody else's transgressions. So men are just as guilty about gossip. And I ask you, does that sound like the heart of Christ? Do you think Jesus is surrounded by some angels whispering your secrets and they're all giggling about it? Do you think heaven offers a national inquirer on its newsstands? Or does it have Access Hollywood or Inside Edition on its cable networks? That's not the way the kingdom of God works. And that's not the way we are to work. Because gossip maliciously destroys the people who are made in the image of God. Not only can it destroy a person, but it can destroy an organization. It can destroy a family, and it will definitely destroy a church. One of the promises, and Conrad can, can attest to this, one of the promise I asked the, promises I asked the board to make to me when I first came here as a pastor is that we keep short accounts with each other. In other words, if I do something that made them angry, or they did something that made me angry, we would immediately say something to one another. We wouldn't go home and talk to our wives. We wouldn't go home and talk to our friends and our family. We wouldn't go home and talk to five people on the streets. We would keep short accounts with one another. We talk to each other because that's the Jesus way of doing it. If you know your brother has an ought against you or you have an ought against your brother, you're not even supposed to take communion until you fix that. That's how seriously Jesus takes lying and gossip. And the Bible spells that clearly out to us. I leave you with one final thought this morning about the ninth commandment. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. So what's in your heart this morning? Does it reflect your Savior? Or does it reflect the heart of Satan? Let's all rise. I know that for many of us, this is another bruising sermon, one that feels like the pastor is beating up on you a little bit. But I, I almost with tears could tell you it was just as hard for me to prepare it because I had to look into my own heart as I wrote. So I stand in the same place that you do, needing to repent and remember that I need to watch my words because I can have a big mouth too when I get angry. A scripture that I'm trying to incorporate in my own life whenever I want to lash out verbally is that when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. So Father, I just lift up this family of believers right now in Jesus' name.